Hey, good morning, Emmanuel family. Welcome to worship today. Welcome if you're part of the online campus. What you just saw was a video of 11 teens from our church getting baptized at teen camp this week. Come on. That's why the lantern is on, because we had several teens give their lives to Christ. Now listen, if you're new to the life of Emmanuel Church, you need to know something. God's on the move here. This isn't fake worship. This is real worship. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to keep focusing our lives on Jesus Christ. And God is doing some really, really cool things in our church family. And he gets all the glory, and we praise his name for that. This is week two of the summer series, Summer, Enjoying the Fullness of God. This is an expositional series in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Last week, I talked about what, it, what fullness really means. That's from Colossians chapter 1. Paul follows a very simple formula. God is full He's full of kindness, love, mercy, compassion. He's everywhere. He's all-powerful. He's full. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ, Colossians 1.19. So God is full. All of God's fullness is in Christ. And listen to this. If you know Jesus, you're supposed to be full too. All throughout Colossians, Paul will use words like full, complete, all to represent the kind of life that you and I were called to live. Essentially, Paul, if he's speaking to the church today, would say, it's time to stop dating Jesus and get married. It's time to stop having three girlfriends and settle on one and make that girl the center of your life. You know what I'm saying, guys? Colossians chapter 2 is a broadening of this concept of what it means to be full in Christ. And now Paul talks about what it means to be free in Christ. So fullness in Christ equals freedom in Christ. Well, what is Christian freedom? We're only a few days away from July 4th, where we're going to celebrate our country's freedom. What is freedom? What does the average American think freedom is? Our grandson Paxton, when he was four years old, didn't like wearing clothes. Our daughter, his mom, would dress him in the morning She'd find him in his room playing with his toys, naked. She'd say to him, buddy, put your clothes back on. And then a fight would ensue. I don't want to wear clothes. She settled for just wearing his underwear. You know what I'm saying? No socks, no t-shirt. He's running around the house just with his underwear on. And this went on for months. One day our daughter's in the kitchen and she thought Paxton was in his room playing, but it was quiet, so she thought she'd go in and peek, and he's not there. So she thought, oh, maybe he's downstairs playing with some toys down there. So she goes downstairs, he's not there. And she 
frantically now begins running through the house and she happens to pass by the front window. And she looks outside and there's Paxton standing on the sidewalk talking to their neighbor (laughs) with nothing on. She runs out the front door. He thinks it's a game. He takes off. And she's running down the street trying to capture her naked little boy. The neighbors come out. Hey, there's naked boy. I think if you were to ask most Americans what freedom is, it would be some version of Paxton. In America, we define freedom as a lack of restraint. Getting rid of the things that restrain us, those restrictions. We think freedom is being able to do anything I want to do whenever I want to do it. Or become whoever I want to be regardless of my biology Or live any lifestyle I choose to live because it's my choice. Live with whoever I want to live with because it's my choice. Pursue whatever kind of career I want to because it's my choice. That's freedom. At least in a lot of people's minds. But is that really freedom? The Bible has a completely different definition of freedom. The Bible says that true freedom comes when we actually submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ and live within his restrictions, live within his limitations, we actually become more free, not less free. That is a paradox. The Bible says that people who pursue whatever they want to do or be actually end up becoming slaves and in bondage. Whereas those who become slaves of Christ, you would think in bondage, actually become more free as time goes on. The more you put yourself under the lordship of Christ and say, okay, it doesn't make sense to me, but the Bible says I need to do this, the more you'll pursue that kind of life, the more freedom you will end up getting. And the more free you become to be the kind of person God made you to be. It's a total paradox. It's the upside-down kingdom of God. It doesn't make any sense to the world. The world thinks if I do get to do and be what I want to do and be, I'm going to be free. Guess what? How many of you in a season of your life threw off your restraints and just did what you wanted to do? And you discovered after a season you weren't any happier. In fact, you were less happy than what you were before. This is called the prodigal son principle. 
It's where you get to do and be whatever you want to do and be and end up in the pig pen wondering what happened to me and longing for a different life. Now, there's a problem. When Jesus comes into your life, when you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has made you free. The problem is many Christians actually don't operate in the kind of freedom, day-by-day freedom, that they should enjoy in Christ, that Christ purchased for them, and part of their fullness in Christ is missing because they're actually not as free as what they could be. They find themselves being bound up with a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts that other people and rules and regulations have placed on them. That brings us to Colossians chapter 2. Because Paul understands this little house church made up of 15, 20 people. Most of Paul's New Testament letters were written to small groups of people. And what he discovered in the church in Colossae is that there's a lot of people that were listening to other voices rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were all bound up, you know what I'm saying, on the inside. And they weren't experiencing the kind of freedom that Christ had actually purchased for them. So today is about figuring out what Christian freedom is and isn't. Would you stand, please, as we read God's word together? It comes out of Colossians chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 16 and go to verse 20. Colossians chapter 2. If you have your Bible app, I'm in the New Living Translation. The first word in verse 16 is so. So, don't let anybody condemn you. So, what's the so there for? Actually, this whole idea of Christian freedom begins in chapter 2, verse 6. And it begins with, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. In verse 9 it says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in bodily form, so you, also, so you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Let me just share one more thought. In verse 13, it says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, you were, because your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave you of all your sins. Now, why did I just say that? All of that is wrapped up in the so in verse 16. Because of all that Christ has done for you, because you used to be walking in darkness, but now, that you're, now you're in light. Because you used to be dead in Christ, now you're alive in Christ. So, don't let anybody condemn you for what you eat or drink. Or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these, are rules, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anybody condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Hang with me, just two more verses. You have died with Christ. 
And he has set you free from the spiritual powers in this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? These rules are merely human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Holy Spirit, wow. Paul is talking about some things that were going on in that culture that are hard for us to connect with, and yet in some ways they're just as true today as what they were back then. So would you enlighten us? Would you give us your spirit so that we're able to discern what not only Paul meant to say to the church back then, but what your spirit is saying to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Paul uses a very simple formula. Just like last week, Paul used the formula, full God equals full Jesus equals full you. He uses another formula in chapter 2, and the formula is this. You are free from and free for. You're free from certain things in order to be free for others. So let me give you the three things that you are free from and for. The first is you're free from the opinions and expectations of others and free for pleasing Christ and being led by the Holy Spirit. I just read it, verse 16 and 17. Don't let anybody condemn you for what you eat or drink. I think most of us, like to please people. I'm not even saying being a people pleaser, which is too far. I'm just saying most of us like to please the people in our lives. You don't go out of your way to say, I'm going to make somebody's life miserable today. If you do, you need counsel. Just saying. Right? There were some strong personalities that were influencing that little house church in Colossae. And these strong personalities had some really heavy convictions on what it really meant to be a Christian. I mean, if you're really a Christian, you do this, 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 this. And Paul lists them right here. He says, you know, there are certain people had certain convictions about what food to eat or things to drink or what holy days to celebrate or what the Sabbath should look like. And these strong personalities insisted on certain kind of self-denial practices that on the outside look very spiritual, but really they were doing it to make themselves look good and be holy. What do we do with the convictions of other people? I grew up in a pretty conservative church, and so let me just unburden myself on some of the messages, some of the teachings I've heard in my years. I had a preacher who taught against the evils of playing cards. Well, at our house, we played cards all the time. But whenever the preacher came over, my dad would always say, put the cards away, Mark. <laughs> but dad, you and I were just, Mark, put the cards away. Preacher's coming. This guy just had it in his head that 
playing cards was, was a sin. Holly and I missed a ministry opportunity because during the interview, Holly was wearing pearl earrings. And in that setting, all jewelry was evil, even wedding bands. I've heard messages on how good godly men wear short hair, short hair and are clean shaven. Which was always ironic to me because Jesus had a beard and long hair. You know what I'm saying? Like, where did that come from? I've heard about the evils of smoking and drinking and chewing. and We were in a ministry environment where, for a brief time, our girls went to a Christian school where if, the, if their skirt was, was a, a little bit too high over here, they were sent home. So we always made sure that the skirt was lower than, than needed to be because it was a 25-minute drive. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I mean, we just dropped them off at school, and a half hour later we get a phone call, hey, got to pick your girl up. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. Now, this may surprise you to hear me say that, say this, what I'm about to say. I don't think any of these convictions are wrong. Look, if you've got a thing about jewelry, then for you, don't wear any jewelry. If you've got a thing about drinking, don't drink. You know, whatever your thing is, right? I mean, if, if you think that, you know, playing cards leads to gambling, then for you, don't do it. But here's the problem. There were some strong personalities in the early church that were laying their expectations of what a good Christian ought to look like. They were laying it on other people specifically the church in Colossae. And it was confusing these early Christians. They were like, well, I don't know. I mean, should I not do this? Should I do this? You know, I want to be spiritual and I want to grow. And, and you know, brother so-and-so says that, well, I ought to fast three times a week because he fasts three times a week. And, you know, is that what I ought to be doing? And, it, and what happened was is that these people were so wrapped up in these strong personalities and the convictions that they were laying on them that they actually weren't focusing on Christ and being led by the Spirit. Which raises an interesting point. We are to use our freedom in Christ to not only please Christ, but we're to use our freedom to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now that raises another question. What's it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? Well, let, let me just tell you a couple things. It's not an exhaustive list, but these are the big, the big ones. To be led by the Holy Spirit means that, or I should say, how does the Holy Spirit lead you? It leads you by reminding you of the words that Jesus said. So that implies that you need to be reading and meditating on God's word. I mean, if you never crack open your Bible, if you never read what the Bible has to say, how are you going to be led by the Holy Spirit? Because the main job of the Holy Spirit is to remind you of the things that Jesus said. And if you don't know what the things of Jesus, you know, what he said, how are you going to know? The Holy Spirit also leads us through prayer. Romans 8, 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't always know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us. 
with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. You know how we're led by the Holy Spirit? When we actually, genuinely begin to pray and, our, and we crack open ourselves to the leadership of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit promises that during that conversation between two people who love each other that we call prayer, he'll speak to us in ways that we understand. The Holy Spirit also speaks to us through reasoning and circumstances. Acts 15, 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I don't even know what that means. But somewhere in the early church, they just figured it out that, you know, it seemed like it was a fit. It seemed like it was right. It seemed like, you know, like the Holy Spirit was in it and it seemed good to us. God gave you a mind to reason some things out. And then God leads us through the godly counsel of other people. Proverbs 15, 22, without good advice, everything goes wrong. It takes careful planning for things to go right. Ooh, now here's the line. If you're hearing me say today that you shouldn't listen to anybody else, you're not hearing me. Because we need godly people around us to guide us and to counsel us. The problem is when we just accept what they have to say as gospel and we actually are not led by the Holy Spirit to figure it out for ourselves. I once had a friend who had messed up their life so much, they started a band in the 90s that took off like a rocket and suddenly, you know, six months, eight months after they were a band, they found themselves traveling the country. They were so popular. And you know what band life is, right? Rock and roll life. And this guy found himself doing anything and everything that you can imagine that goes with traveling from nightclub to nightclub every single night of the week all across the country. He gives his life to Christ and he starts attending our church. And he's so messed up. He's so confused. He doesn't know which end is up. Right? He doesn't know what right and wrong is. He just said, Mark, give me a list. Just give me a list of the things to do and don't do, and I'll follow that list. I resisted doing that, but I did begin to mentor him to talk about how you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is wise counsel? What is godly counsel? How do you read God's word? How do you get involved in real community? You know, the things that you might expect that a pastor would say, but I resisted giving him the list. You know, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to just lay your stuff on somebody else and to just say, this is what you gotta do. But you see, we're not interested in making puppets, are we? We're interested in making disciples. So you need the godly counsel of wise people. At the same time, you have to be led and discern the Holy Spirit working in your life. Freedom from the expectations of others. Freedom for pleasing Christ and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number two, freedom from being somebody else's Holy Spirit and free for loving and serving others. 
So in a parallel passage of Scripture, by the way, this is not the only time that Paul writes to the Colossians about their freedom in Christ. He also writes to the church in Galatia. He also writes to the church in Ephesus about what it means to be free in Christ. This was a big deal back then. In a parallel passage from Galatians, he says these words. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Remember what I said about strong personalities? Some of you listening to my voice, you have strong personalities. I mean, when you speak, it sounds like the voice of God. You know what I'm saying? Conviction. Well, you know what you ought to do is, and I mean, it makes sense, right? Well, I don't know. So-and-so said, and he or she said it with authority, so it must be right. Paul has a warning to people like us. And the warning is, you don't have to be somebody else's Holy Spirit. There's only one Spirit. Stop it. Stop laying your expectations. Stop laying your convictions that may work for you. Stop laying them on somebody else because if you're not careful, you'll just get them all confused and all mixed up. And they'll be walking around taking their eyes off of Jesus and not being led by the Spirit. They'll be led by the little Spirit, that's you. And that's not to be. It's exhausting trying to follow somebody else instead of Jesus. Instead, Paul says, we ought to use our freedom not to be somebody else's Holy Spirit. We ought to use our freedom to what? To love and to serve other people. So rather than you trying to make converts to your way of thinking, your job is to think about that other person and say, what's best for them? How can I best love on them? How can I best serve them? Stop being somebody else's Holy Spirit. I once had a friend who um, was another pastor, and somebody came to the altar one day who was a notorious sinner in that small community, and they gave their life to Christ. And as they, they gave their life to Christ at the altar, and as they were getting up from the altar and walking back to their seat, Two or three saints of the Lord put their arm around him and said, well, you know, now that you're a Christian, you've got to stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this. And it just overwhelmed that new Christian. And he didn't know what to do with it because he had just given his life to Christ. If we're not careful, we'll lay our expectations on somebody else and they'll have wobbly legs and may fall because they weren't strong enough to walk on their own yet with Christ. Three, freedom from trying to please God by what I do and freedom for living a life of grace. This is what verse 20 and 21 is about. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? 
What Paul is referring to here is the Mosaic law. None of us today, unless you're pure Jew, none of us today follow the Mosaic law in its completeness, right? In, in its completeness. So back in Old Testament days, there were 613 laws of Moses, more or less 613, depending upon the rabbi. Some were 615, some were, you know, in the 700s, some were a little bit less, you know what I mean? But, but he had all of these laws of Moses, Mosaic law. On top of the Mosaic law, were a whole bunch of rabbis that wrote their own books on the interpretation of the Mosaic Law. So let's start off really simple. I mean, the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath day holy. Yeah, but what does that really mean? What's it mean to keep the Sabbath day holy? Well, the word holy means other, different, separate, so what's it really mean to keep the Sabbath day different than any other day of the week? Well, you know, you have a rabbi, and this rabbi says, well, you know, you, you can't do this on the Sabbath, you can't do that on the Sabbath, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And you know, there are some people that are like, oh, okay, I guess I won't do those things. And they got so wrapped up in rules and regulations that they actually took their eyes off of God and spent more time trying to obey the law than to have a relationship with God. This is crazy talk, right? So there were some rabbis that would say, well, you know, you can't do any work on the Sabbath, right? So how do you know when sundown happens on Friday night? When do you know when the Sabbath begins? So some rabbis would say, well, you know, you know that when Sabbath, you know that the Sabbath begins when you're 20 feet away and you can't tell the difference between somebody wearing green or blue. That's when Sabbath begins. So you've got people out there, I can work, I can work two more minutes. Oh, time clock. You can't tell the difference between blue and green. Craziness. But yet there were, there were many people that got so wrapped up in all of these man-made rules and regulations that they actually thought that they were earning God's approval. And this is what God wanted. But you know what Paul says in his letter to the Galatians? That nobody ever could really fully obey the Mosaic law anyway. That there was nobody that could do it perfectly. And that the purpose of the Mosaic law was to point us to Christ. You, you and I today, we, we probably don't even read the Old Testament in the light of trying to follow all the Mosaic law. And you shouldn't because we're on this side of Calvary. But can I tell you something? There are still lots of people in church that think that if they follow a certain kind of rules and regulations and expectations, that that'll get them with a, a better in with God. That'll show God how sincere they are. And, and God will have to give them their salvation because of how faithful they've been by following all these rules. You know what Paul's answer to that is? We're saved by faith through God's grace alone. You'll never be able to earn your way. You'll never be able to be good enough for God to save you. In fact, trying to be good enough 
is a pathway of frustration that either you'll collapse and say, I'm walking away from this thing because I can never please God, or if you have a kind of personality like the type A personality, you'll become so full of yourself, so prideful because you haven't missed church in 48 years. As if God owes you something. And Paul's answer to that is, you just come back to relationship trumps rules. And do you really have a relationship of great depth and meaning in Christ? Now, I think this message applies to two groups of people, at least two. Here's the first group. I think there's so much of the world in the church that I think a lot of people, even as Christians, think that freedom is all about doing what they want to do and being and becoming what they want to be. And they're just living their lives as if they can throw off all restrictions. My question to you is this. Are you any better off? Are you any better off? In pursuing your idea of freedom, are you really becoming more human, more kind, more loving, more gentle? You know, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you becoming the kind of person that you really want to be? Or are you becoming more self-focused, more self-turned inward, more consumed with what you want? That's the nature of it, right? Is that when you begin to pursue what you want and you want to become what you want to become, it actually has a cumulative effect where you actually begin focusing more on yourself. How's that working for you? I think today there may be some people who are ready to just simply do a flip and say, I'm going to stop looking at freedom through the eyes of the world and I'm going to get underneath the authority of Jesus Christ and start living in his limits, within his grace, according to his spirit. And instead of me trying to please me, I'm going to spend my life trying to please God. And in doing so, here's my promise to you you'll become more free than what you ever experienced before. Some of you just need to take a leap from one world into the other world. I also think that there's another group of people who have been raised in an environment maybe like me, or you're listening to your favorite preachers and teachers or reading certain kinds of books and you're trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, but somewhere along the way, you've gotten all wrapped up into the Christian life is about do's and don'ts. Here's what I want to say to you today. Christ wants to make you free. He wants to, let, he wants to help you to let go all of these shoulds and shouldn'ts that man has placed on you and he wants you to open up to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do 
Now listen, that doesn't mean that you get to do everything you want to do. Because the Apostle Paul raised this issue in the church in Corinth, which was a crazy church. I mean, it was the most dysfunctional church in the New Testament. And the church in Corinth had all kinds of weird thoughts about what Christian freedom was. And you know what the Apostle Paul said? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Whoa, what's that about? It means this. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. When you begin to live under the limits of Jesus Christ, you'll begin to figure out your own unique triggers. Is there anything wrong with drinking? No. The Bible doesn't condemn it. But for some of you, may I say the vast majority of people, their lives would be so much better if they just walked away from that. I'm not being legalistic. I'm not putting my expectations on you. I'm just simply saying, for some of you, that would probably be a really good thing. Is it okay to go out with a co-worker for lunch of the opposite sex? Well, sure, you could do that. That's permissible. Is that wise? Is that beneficial? Does that trigger something inside of you? For you, that may be, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not wise. And in so doing, by following the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will find yourself more free than what you've ever been before. Would you stand, please? I'm going to pray a prayer. And after this prayer, we're going to celebrate our freedom in Christ. I want you to sing this closing song with everything that is in you. Because, listen, you've been set free the big question is, are you living in the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for you? Do you really know you're free? Have you let go of man-made shoulds and shouldn'ts? And are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Let's bow our heads together. Lord, today, I think that there are some people that are going to switch from the kingdom of me to the kingdom of Christ. And so today, would you give people courage to leap from one world that says freedom is doing whatever I want to do or be to the other world that says I want to be a slave to Christ, a slave to righteousness, so I can really be free. And for people who just have all kinds of shoulds and shouldn'ts in their head, that are really man-made, not from Scripture, not from the godly counsel of wise people, not by being led by the Holy Spirit, but just stuff they picked up along the way. God, would you give them the courage to let go of that so that they can walk in true freedom? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.